We are joined on the morning brief by Tim Hudak, former leader of Ontario's Conservatives, now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Hope it was a good weekend for you, Tim. It was a lovely weekend back home in Niagara. Thanks, uh, John. Great time with the family. Uh, lots of uh, barbecue outdoor activity, just as Queen Victoria would want us to do. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm, I don't know if Queen Victoria was big on barbecues, but <laughs> I could see it. she did like barbecue, a good meal. Video games and basketball, right? We and check trampolines. off all the major boxes. Okay. Uh, Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie forms an exploratory committee for the Liberal leadership. Let's face it, she's running. Oh, oh no! I mean, no doubt about it. BonnieForLeader.ca is uh, is up and uh, and running. And I checked out the exploratory committee. It's hardly such. It's it's a collection of uh, of high profile liberals, largely uh, MPPs, former MPPs, MPs candidates, uh, and former candidates. Look, this is a formidable choice by the Ontario Liberals. I've I've said that uh, to you before, John. To see him, look, she's ex- she's experienced uh, in the. Uh, third largest city in the province of Ontario, charismatic, highly appealing, a track record of success, a high profile. And when you look at uh, Peel and the GTA in particular, that's in the bastion of support for, for Ford, McGinty before that, and for Harris. And she's had a serious gig. It'd be easy to look like a lightweight after following in Hazel McCallion's footsteps, but she's cast her own way and been a very strong leading mayor. So a formidable option for the Liberals. I suspect she will, but here, here's the one catch. Mm-hmm. The Liberals now have moved into a one-member, one-vote system, which rewards organizational capacity and history in the party. I suspect she'd be a shoe-in if it was just existing Liberals and the establishment, but you got to go out and hustle and sell votes and be heavy on the ground. September is when the cutoff is, so it's only a few months away. Secondly, you know, can she actually take the Liberals from third place with eight seats to government? This is uh, only done once before. Uh, Mike Harris actually took the PCs from 20 into government in 1995, but that was much closer to the last time was United Farmers of Ontario, also known as the UFO party, by the way, in 1919. Strong candidate, big leap to government. Okay. Uh, Meanwhile, the municipal race in Toronto, Olivia Chow maintains her lead. I mean, effectively, she's, you know, triple the value of the next, you know, the second and third candidates. So I'm I'm not sure necessarily, nothing against her, but what the appeal is, but she's definitely commanding the race. I I still see this as three quarters name recognition. I think listeners to News Talk 1010 would have trouble identifying a single Chow policy, whether they find it attractive or or not. So we we need to put this into perspective. The election date, June 26, is still you know more than a month away. That is longer than an entire provincial election campaign that I used to go through. Plenty of time. I, I don't believe there is an appetite for 1980s, 1990s, ND in the city be sought behind, sorry, aside from a small core. There's name recognition, no doubt, but now the, you know, the advertising should start to hit more in social media. Some very high-profile debates beginning tomorrow on housing and then the Board of Trade on Thursday, and her opponents have really yet to start landing the contrast. So I think she's run a successful front-runner campaign, but it is still very much early days, and you'll see more exposure for historic positions that are anti-police, high-tax, big government. I don't think that's going to fly. Okay, one last political story, and that would be the latest poll, which finds Justin Trudeau, yes, more people disapprove of him than approve of him, but his approval rate is actually running above previous prime ministers. 
Yeah, look, I, there's you gather baggage in, in politics, right? There's the, the seven-year itch in, in marriages, a seven-year curse in rock bands, and similarly, there's seven, eight years in politics. It's pretty tough to survive unless you have a considerably weak opponent, which I do not see that. Actually, his strong opponent in Pierre Polyev. Certainly, Harper, he, uh, Trudeau's numbers are stronger than Harper in his eighth year, and his father, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, but they were followed by significant sweeps in the opposite direction. To his credit, Kretchen was above water at this point in time, but that is more a rarity. There is a hard core of disapproval for Trudeau who would never consider him some 40% of the ballot. And it just feels, John, as we observe him, I've heard you talk about this on More in the Morning as well, it just seems like a government in some disarray. It seems slow-footed. It seems to stumble from issue to issue. And I can't remember the last time I saw Trudeau you know, really driving an issue hard successfully that contrasted with his, with his opponents. I still see the demise. Yeah, I mean, my criticism has often been that too many people in the PMO always think they're the smartest guys in the game. And, you know, quite frequently you're wrong on something and you don't even see it. It's a combination, to put it well. There is the general appetite for change that occurs in voters right around the seven- and eight-year mark because of the baggage that you pick up and people just like a fresh face in leadership. Secondly, it's it's tough to get out of that rut where you think, well, I've, I've won three elections and I can you know easily win the next. And you start you know rolling out similar campaign platforms you had before. You lose touch with where the zeitgeist is going. And I see very much of that sort of erosion that happened with Harper or with Trudeau before that happening now with the younger. Okay, so there are a couple of stories that are entirely in your wheelhouse as the guy who heads up the Ontario Real Estate Association. One would be something I was unpacking just minutes ago about how much empty office space there is in Canadian towers. Where do you think this is going? I, I just have a, a belief that the course of history is going to be on a positive track of a few things uh, are done uh, appropriately. I remain an optimist. Now, in Toronto, uh, I, I think one of the um, slowest cities in North America to return to in office. I suspect that's a function of the long commute and the mix of jobs we have. I think we're trending towards a three days at the office, maybe three and a half on average. But I think it's going to be locked in. So what do you what do you do about this, John? Well, you've got build infrastructure. And we have a housing affordability crisis. So first and top of that list is allowing for the conversion of commercial spaces into residential or mixed-use residential. There's a possibility in these built-up structures in downtowns to put schools on some of those floors, recreation facilities, healthcare, the kind of public infrastructure we don't have enough of. So what do you need to do to accelerate what can be very positive change? Like, number one, you need flexibility in zoning. You need fast approval. You can't have this sort of scaloric system that does not allow conversions. Businesses will find a way to bring customers in, they'll be innovative, they'll reflect consumer preferences. So let them do that and get out of the way. Number two, you can have some funding to accelerate that change like Calgary has done successfully in this very area of converting commercial space into affordable housing. And third and finally, investments in infrastructure. And you know, the most expensive tends to be water and sewer. Yeah. I think if you move that to making it a utility where you pay for use over time instead of a big lump sum up, up front cost, 
you can actually help transform urban areas into an exciting future. And there's another story today, a feature about the fact that what it costs to buy a house in Toronto, you could buy a castle and an estate in Europe. It's true. It's a cute thought experiment. But, you know, I could own, own a horse farm in upstate New York. I just don't want to live in upstate New York. <laughs> yeah, a, and it is a bit of a, a commute. I, I was thinking the same thing. Listen, this guy, I mean, I, I guess his name is a millennial moron <laughs> on TikTok. So it's a, a name that you will remember. But I mean, is exposing that the, you know, the high cost of housing, the affordability crisis in housing is actually deepened as a result of higher mortgage rates and carrying costs. We've now seen the lowering of prices turn around with three consecutive months of, of higher prices. But it also made me think, a yeah, castle wouldn't be my choice. It's dank and, and, and musty and, and distance. I suppose if the inevitable zombie comp, uh, apocalypse is upon us, it's a, it's a good defense. But otherwise, I'm not the horse farm. I'm more of an island. I, I think in a warm climate with tropical trees, maybe a tree house too. That's what I would pick. Okay, well, you can move in with the Bomblers. They have a lovely island. That's a pretty good show. I'll, maybe I'll come knocking on their door. Thanks a lot, Tim. Good to have you this morning. Have a great day. Tim Hudak with the Ontario Real Estate Association and one of our go-to pundits here on More in the Morning and News Talk 1010. Coming up in the next half hour, it's Tuesday, which means that our specialist at 6.50 will be Carmi Levy on Tech Tuesday. And one of the things we're going to talk about is uh, what is referred to in the business as right to repair. Instead of throwing away your appliances, actually being able to fix them and at a reasonable cost. 